We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Mike and the other many Lakers on the road are getting some well-deserved rest in, in their own homes today. And we're going to talk about road trip. Lakers finished that at 3-3 three and three after one of the wildest games you'll ever see on Friday night. We saw a classic Doc Rivers team collapse, followed by a Lakers collapse in the overtime that saw us barely escape uh, from going scoreless in a full five-minute overtime period. And then Lakers handled their business despite a 25-point third quarter from Boyan Bogdanovich uh, against Detroit in, in a decently well-played game considering the record of our opponent uh, to finish that road trip 3-3. Three and three. Darius, this was one where Anthony Davis had set the the hope and expectation for a 4-2 and two road trip, but he missed two of those games and then had big-time foul trouble in a third. I think 3-3 three and three is about appropriate for where this team is at. I'd love to hear kind of your, now that we're done with the longest road trip of the season, Lakers go 500, love to hear your big picture thoughts on what you saw over the course of the road trip. Well, I think after the game, this most recent game against Detroit, Anthony Davis said, like, the team feels confident and they could beat anyone. And I think that that's the right mindset for the team to have coming out of this trip. To be fair about the Detroit game, I will say this. Detroit has been playing like a pretty difficult part of their schedule and Mm -hmm. they've been hanging in there. They've had a couple of wins. They beat Dallas and Bogdanovich has been super good in so many games. Stu was adamant at the beginning of that game. And last game of a road trip, you know, players will always tell you that's one of the hardest ones. And yeah, Stu was adamant at the beginning of that game. Like, this is going to be a tough one. Pistons are playing well. They play hard. Darvin spoke to that in the post game as well. So it's, you know, it's hard to say a good win against a 7-24 and 24 team, but a good win against a, a team with the worst record in the NBA. But I did think it was a solid win. No, me as well. And so I just wanted to properly contextualize those comments from AD as well as like the general sense of where the team is at right now. The challenges continue, Pete. And so maybe we'll get into this a little bit later in the pod, but Celtics on Tuesday, Nuggets Mm -hmm. on Friday. Just because they're back 
it's like, oh, well, actually, these teams yeah, the that they're playing are going. maybe yeah. better than, yep. than any team that they faced. Anyways, in terms of the big picture from the road trip, I think like I lament the flu here a little bit because I would have loved mm-hmm. to have seen how this team could have performed if they would have stayed healthy-ish. Like maybe they Maybe they win that Philly game. Maybe they still lose the Toronto and Cleveland games. Like, who knows exactly what what goes on there? Cleveland was looking pretty strong. Um, But and so maybe they still end up with a three and three record. Like, I have no clue. Right. And maybe they trick off the Detroit game like that, that that idea of um, of choose your own adventures and 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 how you turn to the next page is just like, OK, we'll jump to page 78. Well, 70, page 78 could include a loss to the Pistons. Right. So who For knows sure. exactly what happens? But I do think this team is trending up in its own way. But the degree and the velocity of that trend is different than what you would have thought it would have been after the Bucks game. Right. The. The up has a ceiling on it with the current roster. One thing you and I were laughing about in the text thread was like, this team really misses Wenyan Gabriel. And that's a ridiculous thing to have to say about a roster. And it, it hasn't like Wenyan's been great, right? But if you like don't have enough players of a certain size, that was one of the things that really stood out to me on this road trip is without Anthony Davis on the floor, we just couldn't get stops. Like in that Philadelphia game, we tried some LeBron at the five groups. Those groups gave up 39 points in 20 possessions, almost a full two points per possession. Uh, and, you know, weren't able to, to get a stop. TB had some struggles on the road. In the 150 minutes where AD, Wenyon, and Damian Jones have been on the, on the bench, which is basically our LeBron at the five and or, uh, or our LeBron at the five or TB groups, we have a defensive rating of 126. And so that's one of the things, D, that like, I feel like that can... Those stretches with Anthony Davis off of the floor, including the Philly game where he was in foul trouble for much of it, like we just fall off a cliff defensively if we don't have Wenin in the lineup just because we have so little size that can defend once he's out. And so that to me, like we're doing a lot of things right. I'm really excited to see us, you know, kind of clicking into place in different aspects. But until we can defend with Anthony Davis off of the floor, that that upward tra- trajectory that you're talking about is only going to go so high. Yeah. So I'm interested to have bigger discussions about what defending when Anthony Davis is off the floor looks like and what personnel you actually need in order to make that, that happen. And also in relation to defending without AD, how there are, many different ways in order to get to a better defense. One of them is scoring the ball easier Mm -hmm. because then you're able to get back on defense and set things up a little bit better. We've talked a fair amount about the zone looks that the team has. The Lakers zone has been getting carved up a little bit like Detroit did them dirty on a few different possessions where they were screening the guards and then creating overloads on one side of the floor and then skipping the ball to wide open players. And at the NBA level, wide open players are going to hit some shots. Like I saw Matisse Thybulle get a wide open three against the mm-hmm. Lakers. And it's just like, hey, look, this dude may not be a shooter. Yep. But like these are practice shots. Well, it's like, you know, I, I, you know, some, someone might think like, hey, how many times is DeAnthony Melton going to hit seven or eight threes or however many he did in that game? It's like, well, you give him those kind of shots and it's going to be more often than you'd expect. Yeah. And so 
like when you're talking about the road trip and what we've learned, I think we've learned that the Lakers are competitive. Um, I think we learned that Anthony Davis is here to stay. <laughs> right. Like he, he he was burdened by foul trouble against the 76ers in a way where I think even two seasons ago, the lack of rhythm that he would have had from earlier in the game would have just carried him throughout the rest of the contest. Instead, he had a 21 point fourth quarter and ended mm. up with 31 points and 15 rebounds and it's just like when you look at the end of the game stat line you're like oh look ad went toe-to-toe with joel Embiid," but that actually wasn't the case necessarily because of the foul trouble but he was just so good down the stretch of that game that he almost brought the lakers all the way back like even to the point where he forced that steal like he makes one more free throw where he was already 13 for 13 and so like mm-hmm. he was in in his own way he was due for a miss it it was just like like damn it why did it have to be the most important free throw of the entire right. game yeah in the press conference after the Detroit game he was like oh yeah i lost us the Philly game i'm like no you didn't like <laughs> like <laughs> no, no, this is you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and like you know, Mike. Mike's point. One of Mike's points is uh, oftentimes is like when you have to be perfect, you're, you know, like sometimes you're not very good, and like that we put ourselves in a position that game where AD had to be fourteen for fourteen from the free throw line, but he was amazing, and he almost got us one of those like you don't you have no business winning this game, but you have this guy on your team, so you won that game type of yep. comes back comebacks, but it came just short. Yeah, and and, and so. I think the Lakers have a lot of reasons to feel good about themselves. I also think they have a lot of self-reflection to do, um, particularly at the front office level to a certain extent, in terms Mm -hmm. of roster examination and what this team actually needs in order to be a team that's a level or two above where they are now, right? Because off of this road trip, they went 500, which is good, actually. They're still four games under 500 for the season, right? They've got, again, a couple of tough games coming up this week, and then they're back on the road again. Mm -hmm. And they're on the road all during Christmas. They're on the road through New Year's. It's just like for all the talk of this was the longest road trip of the season. Well, guess what? Like wrapping around the calendar year, Pete, they've got another five game trip, which includes being away from home on Christmas again. And, And so December, we talked about this, that December was going to be this proving ground for this team. I think they're starting to prove some things, right? And so it's not Mm -hmm. all deficits for them, but the idea of the next step that they need to take in order to be competitive, I think that that's becoming more and more clear as we get more information on this team. Yeah, we're starting to bump up against roster deficiencies where like... You, at, you know, from a coach's perspective, you maximize the guys that you have. The guys you have are the guys that you have. And your job is to get the best out of that particular group. And we're taking more and more steps toward that. Uh, but we have intentionally, you know, waited to make any trades. Rob Planka had a, you know, very insightful quote on Media Day about the Lakers' approach. And like, yeah, when you have LeBron James on your team, you're going to try to win a championship, but it's very important that you make the right deal. We basically got one shot at this. And so I think if I'm reading the trade market correctly, I think the deals available now or upcoming to the February 9th trade deadline are going to be better than they were over the offseason. So in in that way, 
it's a win, right? To have to have waited. In the other way, you are giving your current team some difficult problems to have to work around and work with. And you got to make the best of, of it if you're with that current group. And so we're closer and closer to that point. But again, we do find ourselves at a place where it's like, ah, our one big other than Anthony Davis, who's pretty good on defense is out. We don't have anybody that can really step into his spot. And so those are the types of things where you're just walking a very narrow path that like if AD, God forbid, gets hurt and he's out for more than a couple of games, then the, the flu took him out. Like that's a point where it gets very critical very quickly for us. I would say, too, though, that looking through it through the prism of like, oh, you lost one of the top five players in the league. Like, guess what? Right. And so your point is well made. I think we're like a bottom five team without Anthony Davis, whereas we're definitely not that with him. One hundred percent. I was just making the point that it's just like if AD goes out for any extended period of time, this team is screwed regardless, like in whatever context of whatever their goals are, right? Like if they they are the 2020-21 team, which was trying to defend its championship, and then they lose Anthony Davis for six weeks because of whatever reason, guess what? That team is suddenly no longer competing for a championship. They are competing to be the eighth seed. At that point, which is what they ended up the season as, right? Right. And they were winning the series against Phoenix. And as soon as AD goes down, it's like lost by 30, like each game, basically <laughs> you're down by 30, you know? So yeah, no, it's, it's remarkable that, that too, though, like that's one of the things that kind of crystallized in my mind over the road trip D was like, I feel like this is year one of the Anthony Davis era of the Lakers and that we are like becoming, and that's no disrespect to LeBron. I think that's something that that was the plan, right? Is to have a a guy like AD be the guy who can step up into being that guy. But when he was available on this trip, man, like he is just unbelievable. He's on an unbelievable stretch right now. And so I don't know, like the possibilities when you do have him, he's so good in so many areas. He's one of those guys, D, that like he'll make a shot or a move or do something or a couple of plays back to back where like I almost take a somber tone when I'm watching the game. Like he he got doubled and then just hit this like really easy, effortless step back from like 21 feet. And this is after like dominating inside on a few plays. And I'm just like, Sheesh, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like the type that makes you contemplative. Yeah. So you're talking about the one on uh, the right wing. And I just want to describe this play if you missed the game. So AD has been dominating and the Pistons have now been basically trying to half and three quarter and full front him in order to push him as far out as possible. They are just leaning on him and shoving him. In fact, they're drawing fouls off the ball, just trying to push him in order to make sure that he doesn't get to the spots on the floor that he wants. So AD actually gets pushed out to like 17 or 18 feet. He makes a catch. It's not a clean catch. And then he instantly gets doubled. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, what am I going to do? Am I going to pass out? And when he goes to pass the ball out, the ball gets stripped away from him a little bit. So he goes to recover the ball and he has to dribble it when he recovers it. So now he's got a live dribble. And so he like is playing with the ball a little bit. The guy who double teamed him sort of drifted away. I want to say it was Killian Hayes. He started to drift away in order to go back to his man because he was in no man's land after the ball got tipped away. AD casually goes behind the back and then goes into his gather and shoots a 21 footer from the right wing. It just drills it. 
like it's nothing. And it's almost like, what the hell do you do with this sort of dude? Because yeah. he is. And this is why I'm saying that it like he's here to stay, Pete. Like, mm-hmm. I want to almost stop discussing what Anthony Davis is doing as a tear or a run or like uh, this stretch that he's been on because pretty much every game that he plays, he's good for 25, like in between 25 and 35 and 12 and 20 rebounds, like on every game, he's good for that. And so Mm -hmm. if he's good for that every game, guess what? 25 and 17, like, Oh, kind of, par for the course for this dude right now because that's the level that he's playing at and that's who he is as a player right now and so like yes it's all like I want to see it I want to see it but I'm hearing a lot of grouchy old veterans talk about like well this is the Anthony Davis that we've been saying and can he keep this going it's (laughs) like well I don't think he's going to keep 35 and 20 going every night. No one does that. Sorry, Kevin Garnett, you never did that. Like, no offense. Like, (laughs) KG has actually been like, I'm happy for AD. Like, he's playing well. He's playing with Spear. But then I see him talking to Paul Pierce. This is like, oh, yeah, no bias in these guys, right? Yeah, two Celtics. Um, But I'm just saying, it's just like, oh, well, can he keep it going? It's just like, bro, like, none of y'all kept this going. Like, Wilt's the only guy. Well, really, and the thing that, didn't keep it going in this stretch was he was out, right? He had the flu. And then the there was foul trouble in the Philly game that kept him out for the better part of three quarters. And so that's really more. And the thing that I took away from that, though, D, is like his availability is so important to this team, yep. aside from the obvious reason, right? But like it was a rhythm breaker when he left those games. So even the start of the Philly game where we started with him, part of the reason I thought he got in foul trouble is he was out of rhythm, right? And the team was out of rhythm after losing him early in the Cleveland game, being without him and a bunch of guys in the Toronto game. And so just having him as a stabilizing force, like just whether he's given us 35 and 20 or just a 24 and eight game, right? Like right, just right. Just that type of game. Like he, when he's not out there, it just breaks everything apart, right? That that whole, if he's Atlas, then when he's not out there, we're kind of hurtling through space aimlessly. And that is something that the, you know, he plays eight games, misses a game. And I'm not talking like San Antonio on the second night of a back-to-back or something like that, but the type where he's missing a couple games with whatever, I think those are going to be like our one step back with these groups. But when we've, when he's been out there, when, when we've had a rhythm as a team, we've really made some progress. And so let's take a break real quick, continue this line of conversation. Cause I think it's important. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So here's the thing when it comes to the Lakers and AD and year one of the AD era and LeBron and everything else like this team, in order to take the next step, they do need some sort of reinforcements. And one of the things I've been trying to think about strategically even is what types of reinforcements does the team actually need? And so we talk a lot about the big wing and like this other, right? It's just like sometimes these are almost like fictional players. Like yeah, we're players, talking about theoretical guys, right? But you actually have to trade for someone, yes. Yes, and so we're not going to bring up a, a bunch of names here, but let's just talk about like positions and slotting. Because one of the, when you were talking about AD and what his presence means on the floor, my mind goes back to that idea of slotting. Like AD has the ability to slot everyone else appropriately because he is that good. He is... He is the foundation in which you build stuff upon. And LeBron has traditionally been one of those players as well. And he still is in his own way. But over the course of this pod and the last several pods, we've been talking a lot about like, okay, well, the Lakers defense and what happens when AD isn't on well, on the court. And then over the course of the season, we've talked about like what the asks are on LeBron defensively and mm. who can then defend on the perimeter against Bogdanovich, for example, who had that massive third quarter. The Lakers alternated between having Patrick Beverly on him and Russell Westbrook on, on him. Those were their best defenders on him during the third quarter, right? In the fourth quarter, they went to Dennis Schroeder, who, mm. and I thought Dennis was better. Yes. Right. But that's a six four guard in Russell Westbrook, and then right. two six foot one guards, and they've been and they were tasked with defending the six foot nine versatile scoring combo forward for the other team. And so, just thinking about this holistically, Pete, and I'm going to have an article coming out on this in relation to Russell Westbrook and like the trade mechanics of a deal now around Russ. Now, after what we've learned through almost 30 games of the season, but a forward, two forwards, a backup big, 
Like, how would you how would you slot the needs of this team? Like, sure. if you were going to the buffet and be like, oh, give me one of these, <laughs> give me one of those. What are the most valuable things to you at this point? So I'm going to talk about attributes for that reason, because there's God, I wish we could talk names. And my overall view is that there are a couple of different ways to go about it. And so it can it's like combinations of players. What do you want? end up with at the end of that combination? Do you address your needs? And so my biggest passionate belief about this team and what it needs first and foremost is to address its defensive rebounding. We are 29th in the NBA in defensive rebounding. We give up a ton of long rebounds, which you're is killer if you're going to play smaller groups. You at least have to be good at that, chasing down the ones that bounce 15 feet away, and we are not. And so If we want to be a serious team at any point, addressing our defensive rebounding is absolutely paramount. Now, does that mean that that needs to be the main thing that we trade for coming back in in an individual player? Not necessarily. I'm just saying that by the end of whatever moves we make, we have to be a better defensive rebounding team. There's also coaching decisions within that, right, to play – you know, play two bigger, two big lineups occasionally versus all the small guards that we play, right? But at the end of the day, D, we cannot be this bad on the defensive glass if we want to seriously compete for anything on the other side of this. We also need, I, I genuinely believe we need somebody who hits a pull up jump shot for a living or can just like shoot the hell out of the basketball. And because one of the reasons that we struggle in late game situations is because, well, there's a few reasons. For one, we freaking walk to our spots and we get like one attack on the basket when the defense is most the most locked in in the game. And it's like, well, you walked across half court. There's 12 seconds. Okay, now we've got seven seconds left on the clock and we're just doing the first thing in our offensive possession. So this to me, more than personnel or anything, especially if you don't have ideal personnel out there, you better get multiple attacks up in 24 seconds if you want to get a decent shot. Also, though, in the Philly game, you've got Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly on the floor at the same time. And they were two of the guys that got us back into it, right? And so that's something that coaches rarely will sub out guys when they've led a comeback. But from a defensive decisions standpoint, if you're the other coach and those guys are on the weak side or or wherever they are in the offense, you're going to overload into the paint so much. And so it was just jump shot after jump shot because there's just no space in the paint. And usually that's not the case because most guards, you have to guard on the perimeter in terms of their jump shooting in ways that you don't to the same degree with Russ and to a lesser degree, Bev. Bev's more like holistically not a threat on offense. Um, And so to me, just one guy who's like, crap, you got to get out to him. It doesn't even have to be the three-point line. Uh, that would be great, especially playing off of LeBron and AD. But really just a guy who's like, yeah, if you don't guard him 17 feet away from the basket, he's going to shoot 60% on those. Legit, you know, like this is what yeah. he does. That's why he's in the NBA. And so – The defensive rebounding and that, to me, are the two things that we need to address. And that's hard because you're probably not getting that in the same player. No, you're not going to get that in the same player, most likely. Um, And if you do, that player costs like $30 million and probably isn't on the trade market, right? And this is where things get tricky. I do think that there's massive amounts of like 
if we do this in the text read all of the time, that like I constantly laugh at my own ability to both create massive wins for Lakers in the trade machine while also while also like still being able to joke with myself about like, yeah, guess what? None of these are happening, but right, they're right. fun. Yeah. They're and, fun, and, right? and pissing off Mike in the process. Yes. <laughs> Mike's like, let me read my book. Yeah, um, he's like, why are you guys texting me? I thought you had something interesting to say. <laughs> Anyways, so in the big picture then, there are, it is sort of just like, okay, well, give me, this is why I was asking you about like priorities, right? And what what do the Lakers need to prioritize in terms of a return? And we've talked so much about trades on this pod that it's just like I'm almost wearing myself out in terms of how much we go back to this same topic. But it is super important for where this team wants to go and what they want to be, right? Yes. That it's impossible to ignore that they're not there's not going to be some massive internal improvement. Bro, Rob said it like you got to nail this trade, right? So like the stakes of, and whatever this trade, it could be multiple trades. It could be smaller. We don't know what it's going to be on the other side of it, but like he spoke to that urgency of like, you have to get this right. If you have designs on picking us out of the mud and getting a LeBron and AD team back to contention, nailing these trades are of the utmost importance. So we're going to continue to talk about it. Totally. Right. And so these ideas of like, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you on pull up shooting and the ability like, so one of the things I talked about in my Russ piece, that's going to come out either today or tomorrow is the idea that he has brought a certain amount of like playmaking and shot creation that has exposed a deficiency on the Lakers roster that I don't even think was a part of the dialogue around a potential Mm -hmm. Russell Westbrook trade before the season started. Like before the season started, it was like, oh, just trade this dude, trade him for whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Get back functional NBA players and you're going to be a better team. And I don't necessarily think that idea rings true anymore. It just doesn't. Like we've learned enough about what this roster is and what it isn't through 26 games to know what needs to be improved upon, right? And one of the ways that you learn that is by, okay, well, take every player on the roster, what are they good at and how are they contributing and how does that contribute to winning? And one of the ways that Russ has been contributing to winning And I know, and when I say winning, I don't necessarily mean winning at the end of the basketball game. I mean, winning over a four minute stretch or a six minute stretch, like it, like contributing to winning basketball in any given portion of the game has been through shot creation and playmaking. The idea for me is, is that shot creation and playmaking can come in a variety of forms. Right now, Russ is like, one of the league leaders in assists off of the bench. I think he does lead the league in assists off of the bench. And I think Mm -hmm. he's second to LeBron in assists for the team. That's an important skill that he's bringing to the table. And you don't necessarily need to trade for another high assist player. I think Mm -hmm. that if you replace Russell Westbrook with someone who is a jump shooter, who can then draw attention to himself and create gravity as a scorer, that's going to be super helpful to LeBron and AD in ways that 
that mirror how Russ's passing has been helpful to them, right? Right. And so there's plenty of ways to skin a cat, as they say, and there's lots of different ways to, to win a basketball game. But I think shot creation is super important. And it's not something I necessarily would have said before the season when I was thinking about a LeBron and AD led team. Well, and we got so many guards too, right? Like the thought that being able to create a shot for the whole group, but like this type of offense in particular has a, a you have to have a catalyst for the whole thing to run. And so if you don't have that initial guy on the floor and a lot of our guards, it's two things. Our guards are not necessarily shot creators for others outside of Russ. But I also think that they're not like great shooters in and of themselves. And so this is kind of where, so like I see where you're going and and I agree with you with Russ has been creating really easy shots for guys. And that's been an essential part of like what this team is. LeBron and AD in particular score, can get some easy buckets with Russ as a point guard and them as a big man. I also think that having a guy who's not necessarily that pass first guy like Russ is and, and a wonderful passer, but can you have to guard him from 18 feet yeah. and out yeah. and or else he's just going to kick your ass. It brings the attention just back out in ways where like, am I really worried about Dennis Schroeder's jump shot beating me or Pat Bev's or Russell Westbrook's? And so despite the amount of guards that we have, it's like it, it's an easy choice where you shift your your bodies. And so just like kind of relieving that congestion, I think, can achieve some of the same thing that Russ's playmaking does. Totally. And so, like, look at what happened during the Detroit game, for example. And look at what Detroit did to the Lakers in the third quarter. You talked about Bogdanovich's 25-point quarter. Well, Bogdanovich was coming off of pin downs and just firing off jumpers. And he just looked like an absolute killer off of like simple down screen actions. Mm -hmm. This wasn't complicated. They weren't like, oh, okay, well, give this dude the ball and he's going to isolate and run a pick and roll. And he's like, no, that's a different style of basketball. And so... I bring Bogdanovich up because that archetype as a player of someone who is just like, hey, you got to like look how many resources the Lakers were sending at him. Like, oh, no, stay connected, like top lock him. You have to like defend him a certain way. Him isn't a question, right? Like that's something that if you decide, oh, no, it's fine. We'll let Bogdanovich beat us. It's like, oh, yeah, he'll definitely beat you. No. And so that idea of finding more players on the team who have that ability to occupy the defense in real ways. That is an alternative mm-hmm. to, oh, give this other guy the ball in order of, so he can like create shots in transition or out of the pick and roll and all of this, right? And mm-hmm. this is what we talk about. This is what we mean by there's multiple play, there's multiple ways in order to play winning basketball offensively. <laughs> and And so I'm... I'm still intrigued by what options are out there. But until those options actually materialize, it's just like we're sort of spinning our wheels here, right? Right. And we have similar versions of of the same conversation. How important is it for it to happen soon, right? The trade deadline's on February 9th, and you're, what, two-thirds of through the season by yeah. that point. And we're in this in-between spot as a roster where it's a, it's a strange roster, right? It, and I think that it's set up for 
moves coming ahead, right? But if you've already played two thirds of your games at that point, like, is this something that is needs to get done in your eyes closer to twelve fifteen, or do you think we can wait it out to get the best deal? I'd prefer that a trade happens sooner than later. And I'd prefer it happens before the real halfway point of the season. The All-Star game is not the halfway point of the season. And so the Lakers have played, what, 26 games at this point? So Mm -hmm. 15 more and they're at the literal halfway point of the season. I would hope that a move, if they're going to make a move, that a move happen in the next 15 games or so, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's like basically five weeks And so by the middle of January, I would want a trade to be made, which is basically the timeline in which the Lakers made the Pau Gasol deal. Like, I think that that gives you enough time to integrate good basketball, like good basketball players. Right. It's one thing to be like, oh, well, we're bringing in. No, if you bring in good, smart basketball players, they're going to figure out what their role is and they're going to go go from there and they can be high level players or they could be role players players like i think of when the lakers got markeith morris that was later in the season right but he was he's a smart basketball player who knows his role and he's a he's a professional he's gonna step in and know what he's doing trading for some 23 year old whippersnapper who doesn't quite get it yet that's a different proposition and i don't think that's who the lakers would be should be looking for anyway to a certain extent oh 100 percent but speaking of good uh, basketball players who are closer to that age, I want to before we wrap up, I want to hear your thoughts on Austin Reeves, man, because we had a pod a few pods ago where it was I think it was after the Toronto game where I was like, you know, Austin's making some lazy plays and it's looking like his legs are not there. And before the road trip, when we were t- talking about it, like what are the things you're looking for, uh, looking for is one of the things I was looking for is how good is Austin Reeves? I still don't know the answer to that, but I mean that in a the best way possible in that like, man, talk about an answer over that. He was wonderful in the Philly game, hit that big shot in Detroit. I wish we could get him more than six shots in a game like that. Um, and that's going to be a continuing conversation, but great bounce bounce back from Austin. Austin was great against Philly. Um, and he did his job against Detroit. I thought Austin's still the sort of player who's going to struggle in the exact ways that he struggled last year and up through this season defensively in terms of strength and quickness. Like there are physical advantages that other players are going to have over him and making up for that stuff is going to be hard. But I still think the key for him is a combination of aggressiveness and his three point shot falling at the rate in which he is capable of shooting. I don't know if Austin's ever going to be a 40% three-point shooter over the course of a full season. I think he needs to be close to that on open threes. I think that he is now a big enough part of the scouting report where he doesn't get many open threes. Mm -hmm. And, 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 And so, like, whether or not that increases or decreases the pressure on him to make the ones that are open, I have no clue, right? I'm not in his head. But if he could be a roughly 38 percent three-point shooter overall and make in the low 40s on like those wide open shots and you know closer to 35 36 37 percent on the semi-open ones or the ones where he's guarded fairly closely but he's just feeling his jumper that's the way to go the lakers i think need to find more opportunities for second side options for pick and rolls not only for austin reeves but for lonnie walker one of the ways Mm, that 
Lonnie's game has evolved into way more catch and shoot and pull up shooting, right? Um, catch and shoot threes, pull up shooting twos, and just downhill attacks, both in transition and in the half court. But those downhill attacks are in the half court are becoming fewer and fewer and fewer over the last couple of weeks. I don't have the stats on that, but on the eye test, it just seems like he is getting to the basket less in the half court. And I think some of that is because as Russ has gotten more comfortable as the leader of of bench units and Dennis has is now here as a starting player. There's just less ball handling opportunities in general, but Austin and Lonnie need more of those. And Austin, and we started talking about Austin. Austin is a guy who has all of the craft as a ball handler. And the if you turn him solely into a connecting player, I think you're doing your team a disservice. Agreed. No, that's spot on, man. That like that, and that's part of what I think should go into our calculus on the trade market is that if you do trade Russ and your your piece about like what Russ brings to the table that we may have not have thought of coming into the season, but from watching the team is very evident. One of the ways I think you can address that is just like give Lonnie, give Austin more of those types of touches. Now they're not the main guy. And so that's, that's right. And so there are a couple of ways you can get another guard, but you can also get like a forward that can shoot, you know, to, and does that address that enough? To me, this is one of the most fascinating seasons the yep. Lakers have ever had. And maybe it's slightly masochistic on my part, but I'm really enjoying this 11 and 15 team. Now I would like them to be 15 and 11. I'd feel a lot better, but they're making progress there. And there's so much unknown ahead. And there are so many very distinctive paths that they can take that totally have a valid argument behind them. And so seeing which one we do is going to be just super interesting to, to, to learn. So here's my thing is they are 11, they are 11 to 15, right? And so 26 games, I haven't looked at the schedule enough. Like I've looked at the schedule plenty, but I can't tell you who the actual opponents are over the next 14 games. But when you're like, oh, I'd love for them to be 15 and 11. The first thing that came to my mind is, okay, well, what if they go not if can they go nine and five over their next 14 games? Can they be 500 through 40 games? Because I think that's the target for them. We're nine and five over our last 14 games, right? So yes. So if they can get to that point with a trade in the mix that's sort of like maybe towards the end of that stretch, mm -hmm. right? Then can that propel them into the second half of the season to be that team that is the 15 and 11 version moving mm -hmm. forward, right? Because the West is jumbled enough where the Lakers have 15 losses. There's, and I think that they're now in the 11th spot. Basically, they're tied for 11th because it's like the 10th seed is in the play-in and then right below I th that is- I think is, Minnesota's 11 and then we're tied with OKC for 12. You were right. So Minnesota is 13 and 13 at 11th and the Lakers are 11 and 15. The Jazz have 14 losses. And so six through 10 all have 13 losses except for the Jazz who have four, 14. And the third seeded Denver Nuggets- from three on all have double digit losses, right? So at least 10. The Lakers aren't out of the mix by any stretch of the imagination. And 
I'm I want to look at the season as two week stretches. So like, what are you going to be over two two weeks? And can you mm. if you can continue to be over five five hundred in two week stretches, you're going to string together like, oh, there's a good month. Oh, there's a yep. good six weeks. Oh, there's yep. a good eight weeks. And the Lakers have already been on one of those. There's a good two or three weeks. Right. And so let's string a few of more of those together and see where this this team gets. But I think we've learned a fair amount about where this team is good. I think we've learned even more about the things that they are missing and the things that they are missing can be gotten. It's just it's never so simple to make Mm -hmm. a deal in this league. Fascinating team. All right. We will be back tomorrow to talk a little more about them. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.